You're listening to the Newsline Review Podcast, the show that brings you the weekly roundup of this week's most important news and how they affect your daily life. My name is Daniel Anderson, and I'll be your tour guide today. With the close of Utah's legislative session, many new initiatives and programs have changed the political landscape from Ogden to St. George. However, one key element of Utah's political dynamic, our women in politics, is often overlooked. Dr. Susan Madsen, a professor at Utah State University, took a closer look at this issue in a recent study she published, and she joins us today to talk about it. Welcome, Dr. Madsen. Hey, thanks for having me. This is an important study to me. So first, give us a little background. What made you just decide to do this research? So first of all, I want to make sure I give credit to Hannah Payne and and uh, Marin Christensen, who were really the leads on this. I worked with them to conduct this study. And in terms of why, why we did this study, we actually have done, a, we did a recent two studies. One was really looking at the statistics in the state of Utah on, you know, how have we made gains and, and so forth. And in, with that particular study, we did a first one in 2014. Then we did another one in 2017 to see if we'd made progress or if we'd slipped. And then now this is a 2021. So we've, this is our third. So what we do for this one really is to look at the numbers and man, did we work hard, but we did this really this quantitative study to really figure out where are we, you know, are we making progress with all the work that's being done? Are things changing? And what did you find? Are things <laughs> changing? <laughs> uh, well, of course, things are changing in some ways, but we've we've uh, we've got some good news and we've got some bad news. Which one do you want to start with, Daniel? Let's start with the good news. Okay, you're a good news person. So I think one of the most interesting findings was was that we actually jumped in the last three or four years in terms of women mayors in the state of Utah. So we actually went up about nine percent, which is a big jump in a few years. I have to say, that it was only we're only about 17% women even with that jump in terms of of uh mayors of the 248 municipalities in the state of Utah and we also did made some good progress slight progress not not huge but some 3 4% in terms of more women on city councils um so and then we also um, on the county area have made some progress. Believe it or not, county commissioners, we were like 4% of the county commissioners for women in 2017, and we're now at 11. Now, some people may say, well, that's not very many women. But for me, I'm going to celebrate the wins, right? So again, we've, we've uh, increased some in terms of county councils. Um, and, and so those are, are some of the, the real gains uh, on we, so we have what we call um, state executive offices, and those really are 
are things like the governor and the lieutenant governor and the attorney general. And there's, there's just a handful of those, right? And so we've only had a few women throughout history in those roles at all. And in our 2017 brief, we had zero women, but we have a new lieutenant, lieutenant governor who is a woman. So that's more of the good news. So, <laughs> so what about the bad news? Okay, all right, we'll go to that. Um, in 2017, most people will, maybe they'll remember that uh, Mia Love, so, so in the state of Utah, we actually have six, six spots in our delegation into Congress. So we have two uh, senators and then four in the House of Representatives. Now, for three, four years ago, when Mia Love was there, we had one woman. And she was not only a woman, but she was a woman of color, right? So our percentage, uh, there's only six people, Daniel. So our percentage when there's, we went from, you know, from one in six to zero in six. And I have to say, I've had some people say, well, this shouldn't be, this isn't a big deal. We just have to have good people. Actually, it is, it is a problem. When um, we have just six men, even if they're good men and, and attentive and so forth, they're still not gonna represent uh, you know, half of the population and many of the needs that you don't get unless you feel it unless you're in that. So that's one of our biggest problems is we don't have, um, you know, that representation in Congress. And, and uh, a second, um, um, a second element really is that just in the last year, we were making progress in terms of women in on the, our state legislature, in our state legislature, I should say. So we had made some progress, but then between 2020 and, and this year, we actually have lost just one woman, but we went from being 34th in the nation, because that took a lot of work to get to 34th, back down to 40th, just with that one loss of one woman in the state legislature. And 40th is not good. So uh, we still have committees and subcommittees in terms of in our legislature that have zero women. And what we know from the research is that really is a problem and just different decisions are made because of that. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Madsen. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. One year ago, schools across the country shut down as the coronavirus was declared a pandemic and a national emergency. This week, I interviewed three BYU students about their experiences as students or recent graduates during this last year. Um, in general, this last year has not been kind, but that's okay. For Zachary Galifant, the upheaval of COVID actually started in February. So my dad went up for a funeral in Idaho, where my grandparents are. And my grandparents got diagnosed with COVID right after he was up there. He came back, I had visited home. I got COVID around February 27th and I was sick all the way through the end of March. And so I 
I've been home the whole time. I was I wasn't working because I wasn't allowed to work from home yet. I wasn't going to classes because I couldn't go to class because I was sick. The week I finally felt well enough to start going to classes, I went to classes for like two days and then school shut down. For Matthew McComb, concern over exposure led him to move off campus. Uh, so what happened when BYU shut down? Um, I was actually with a couple of buddies a, couple, a few days before um, when one of my friends who was graduating at the time mentioned that uh, one of his professors said that they might be, BYU might be shutting down because of the pandemic. And we were all kind of freaked out, like, whoa, that's kind of serious. BYU doesn't even shut down for spring break. Uh, this, this will have to be pretty serious. And I remember one of us was like, no, it probably won't happen. It'll probably just blow over and everything will be fine. Um, and then a few days later, we all got the email um, and a lot of things changed. Um, I was staying in student housing on campus and I felt like it would be more safe if I went and stayed with my friends who were living off campus instead. Um, so I didn't have to interact with so many people. Um, but everything that I had known that whole semester just changed rapidly. Um, and one moment everything was open and fine and clean and the next it was gone. Both agree that trying classes online after BYU went virtual has been difficult. I school from home sucks. <laughs> it's just there, there's nothing to gain I feel like at least for me from working doing school from home. It's harder to focus, you learn less in classes um, you have less resources available with like the library and things like that. Uh, as a theater major and specifically a theater education major, um, moving to Zoom has been quite honestly dreadful. Um, even with the advances that we've made in, in preparing our, our teaching and our curriculum to fit the new format, um, the aspects of theater that I love so much have become missing from performances that I've been working on, from classes that I've been taking. Um, the aspect that I miss the most is the human to human interaction. Um, of course, it's you know not safe, obviously, but arts requires one aspect of it to be there with the people. And because Zoom is not really there with anyone, it's just you and a computer, the meaning of that art can be lost. For Yvonne Andrewson, life looked a little different. I, I remember going to my one class of the day, it was just a lab class, working in a computer lab with a bunch of other people in my major. Uh, and we were all speculating, we all knew, we all knew this was coming. Schools had been shutting down across the country. My little sister already had plans to come home from MIT. And we just didn't know when the ball was going to drop. We thought they were gonna try and push till the weekend. That was on a Thursday. And then someone in the class got the email saying, Friday classes are canceled, starting Monday, everything will be virtual. And just one by one, each of our emails notified us that we had gotten that same message. So I graduated in June. I was supposed to walk in April, but that got completely canceled. After graduation, it was hard. A lot of 
the employment that I was looking for was client-based. I was looking to do data analytics. And when you work at a data analytics firm, they need clients who have data analytics questions. And because of COVID, all of the clients were dialing back on how much research they wanted to do and how much they needed to pay outside consultants and companies. And so then all of the firms I was applying to were dialing back on how many people they wanted to hire. Uh, there was one specific job that I applied for. Um, I, was in, I was in good personal standing with the man who owns not owns the company, but runs employment. He's the head of employment and technical operations. And I got a call from him a couple weeks after I sent him my resume saying, we ended up not filling that position at all. Uh, it was just a lot of trying to find employment and being stuck in a world where everyone was tightening their belts and no one was interested in a recent graduate. Even though this last year has been difficult for students, we can still look ahead at the rest of 2021 with some hope to reclaim a normal school experience as vaccinations rise and, count and case counts decline. Spring holidays are all over the calendar as we head into the thick of March. Find out how one religious holiday can have meaning to people of other faiths. I just don't think there's, we can continue if I'm not listening to the people that I deeply disagree with, the people who I think are dangerous. Keeping politics respectful isn't as easy as it sounds. Learn how one group is trying to make it a little easier. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives and restore sight and health for many more. Sign up right now online as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Talking about politics has been the cause of stress in many areas of life, from heated disagreements on social media to strained Thanksgiving discussions. But one group is working to change that. There's some value underneath both sides that you can find if you think there is. And it's not just that the other person has bad intent. Newsline reporter Amy Griffin joins us to talk about Braver Angels an organization dedicated to helping people from any political background to discuss politics in a more respectful and civil way. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Daniel. So first off, how did you hear about Braver's, Braver Angels? So I first heard about the organization in a BYU class. I was taking a media ethics class in fall of 2020. And Dr. Eliza Hawkins is a member of that organization and had us go through a training to learn to talk to one another about the election and then practice those skills in class. And as you went into uh, and looked into Braver Angels, how did they get started? So they started back in 2016 in the aftermath of the first 
uh, Trump election when it was um, former President Trump and Hillary Clinton. And there was just so much division. And it was actually started by a Republican and a Democrat who are both good friends. And the reactions of their um, respective groups was just night and day. And so they, they knew they had to do something about it. And so they came together and started this organization to try and teach people skills to be able to talk to one another. Um, you said that they work uh, to teach people skills. How do they do that? So they have all kinds of different events that they offer from workshops to um, like seminars that you can go to, to actual debates that aren't maybe the debates that you're thinking about. It's um, some that just, it's more about listening than it is about trying to convince someone else. Um, so you can go to any of these events, they're free um, and just kind of learn some skills to talk to family members, to talk to neighbors, to talk to coworkers who may think just completely different from you. How widespread is Better Angels? Is it just a Utah thing? So it's a national organization and it's just kind of starting to gain ground here in Utah. Um, it started back east and it's making its way across the country and they're starting what they call an alliance here in Utah where they have rolling events in the state so that they can get more Utahns involved. Well, thanks for joining us, Amy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Daniel. For more information on Braver Angels, their mission, and workshops you can be involved in, visit braverangels.org. Every spring, millions of Jews come together in their homes and communities to celebrate Passover. Here to discuss this holiday and Holy Day is BYU Professor of Religion, Jeffrey Chadwick. Thanks for joining us, Professor Chadwick. It's nice to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. So first off, what is the significance of Passover to the Jewish community? Well, Passover is uh, one of the several uh, Jewish festivals that are celebrated yearly uh, in Jewish religion uh, under Torah, the Law of Moses. It has the distinction of being one of the three Torah-mandated festivals going back right to the time of the book of Exodus uh, uh, in terms of what Jews perform for their religious holidays uh, in Exodus, also in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, God said to ancient Israel, three times in the year shall ye hold a festival unto me. Uh, in the spring, the Passover, uh, the festival of unleavened bread. In the summer, the Feast of Weeks. Uh, in the fall, you know, the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, as we call it. So Passover is a big deal. Uh, it's, uh, it's a major holiday and a major festival for the Jewish people. There are, there are some Jewish holidays that would be minor holidays. That's a technicality because all holidays are big deal, but uh, even Hanukkah is a minor holiday in that it's not a biblical holiday. Passover is a biblical holiday and therefore of exceptional importance. Now, you have hosted a Passover service for several years through BYU for BYU students and its community. Um, yeah. But a majority of BYU isn't Jewish. Um, is Passover significant to other communities? Well, it certainly is if you recognize its significance, uh, particularly to those people with a biblical heritage, uh, Christianity, and in particular Latter-day Saints. Passover is a robust part of our understanding of the Old Testament, of the covenant of Israel, 
of the commandments of that dispensation. It also uh, is the background of the Savior's passion, his atonement and resurrection, because his last supper was a Passover Seder meal, and uh, elements of the Passover meal were uh, used by him to represent his own sacrifice. The, uh, the unleavened bread of Passover became what Christians would call the, the bread of the Lord's Supper, or Latter-day Saints would say the sacrament bread. Uh, hard to imagine that it was uh, the unleavened bread of um, Passover that, that is the predecessor of our, our bread of our LDS sacrament. And the wine, of course, of the Passover supper became the wine of the Christian Eucharist and the, uh, the water of the Latter-day Saint um, uh, sacrament. You know, Jesus uh, changed uh, water to wine and Latter-day Saints changed wine back to water. It's a miracle in both cases. And uh, so everything that we do that's important to us is a derivative of Passover. And because it's, it's uh, scriptural, it certainly has meaning for us, just as it does to our, to our Jewish friends. And what kinds of activities would be involved in a Passover service? Well, um, I, I should just say regarding what we call the BYU Passover, uh, that this is uh, an attempt to teach our community what a Jewish Passover is like. Very often in Christian congregations, you'll see uh, various attempts to, uh, to have a Passover experience packaged in the, you know, in, 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 the, um, in the terms of a Last Supper experience. And it's, a, it's an attempt to explain the New Testament and Jesus' Last Passover Supper. Uh, those are fine. It's not what the BYU Passover has done. The BYU Passover has uh, presented a, uh, an authentic Jewish Passover experience, not attempting to Christianize it. In, in Jewish circles, this is called a model Seder, meaning not a Seder for the purpose of the ordinance and the, and the holiday, but a Seder to teach. And Jewish uh, congregations and Jewish groups have held model Seders for a long time. Uh, the BYU Passover was one of the biggest model seders in the United States and has even been, been featured in Jewish media, uh, quite positively, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, the Times of Israel carried a story about us a few years ago. And uh, we're very glad for that. But one of the things that we always uh, would say is that we're not attempting to, to make this a Last Supper. We would like our community that really has no other access to experience a Jewish Passover to have a model Seder experience. And it's always been quite a, uh, quite a, um, uh, a positive thing. Now, we didn't hold one in 2020 for obvious reasons, uh, the name of which is Corona. And uh, we're also not holding one in 2021. What the future has to, to give us, we never know. But we're very proud of what we've done in the past in terms of uh, educating our own community about the importance of the Jewish Passover. Well, thank you for speaking with us, Professor Chadwick. It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure to be with you as well, and have a very fine Passover and Easter season. Well, that's all for today's episode of the Newsline Review. Thanks for listening, and thank you to all of my guests for joining me today. 
Join us again next week and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you can listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Daniel Anderson with the Newsline Review. Have a wonderful weekend.